Hello, you're listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I am your host, Troy Goodfellow, back with you after a long, long hiatus. Uh, I've been gone for most of the summer doing busy, busy work, but I am back now uh, to host a show on what is kind of the latest hotness. It's a game that's been around, actually, for a couple of years, but has just hit steam, so I thought it would bring together a crack panel to talk about colonial management sim RimWorld. With me is semi-regular panelist, freelance writer Rowan Kaiser. Hello. Freelance writer John Boulding. Hello. And freelance writer Gita Jackson. That's me. Hi. So, Rowan, I'm going to start with you, and I'm going to ask you to explain RimWorld to our audience, for people who don't know what it is or who only have a vague idea of what it is, what separates it, what distinguishes it from other colonial colony builder type games like uh banished or a dwarf fortress so yeah it's it's a game along those lines i i like to call them survival strategy games which sounds like colonies or how they're how they're getting going and that's perfectly perfectly good genre name um you take a few people and uh have them build a new base and survive raids and dig for silver and stuff like that. Uh, the eventual goal is sort of to build a spaceship to get off the planet that you crash landed on, uh, but it's uh, fairly open in uh, whether you're actually even trying to do that or just trying to build and survive. Uh, the thing that separates RimWorld from most of the others for me is that it seems to have... Um, it seems to be very comfortable in its scope. It has, you know, very rarely more than a dozen characters in your in your base. Um, it knows exactly what it wants to do with how you're managing them, um, how your how their time is being spent. The sort of tactical combat works pretty well with um, the scope of how the game works. Um, so it it seems to be a lot more comfortable in its skin than some of the other games like this, like say uh, Clockwork Empires was something that struggles with this. Gina, you're the big dwarf fortress expert here on the show, uh, which is why I asked you to be on this one because uh, you have quite a few strong opinions on what these games try to do at their very best. Um, how have you, how has your experience been with RimWorld? So it's a lot like Dwarf Fortress in the way that it allows you to tell stories. Um, what I like about it is it limits the scope so much that the stories are a lot easier to find. Um, and they they happen pretty organically. That's there you will, whether you like it or not, come up with some kind of mythology about your colonists, you know, almost immediately. But um, unlike Dwarf Fortress... Dwarf Fortress, I think, is a game that wants you to succeed despite knowing you will fail. And RimWorld <laughs> is a game that is, like, constantly trying to put enough obstacles in your way so that you will eventually fail, which I think is pretty a significant difference for me. Do you want to give an example? Oh, um, so a big thing you have to keep an, an eye on with your limited number of colonists. You start off with four in the default world state, I think. Is uh, there three, but you, one shows up very quickly. Yeah, yeah. You you have to keep an eye on their their moods. And while dwarves and dwarf fortress also, you know, sometimes when they're unhappy, they will come, you know, they will have foul moods. When in uh, someone in dwarf fortress has a foul mood, they're usually they'll they'll break, and like most of the time, they will just 
kill everyone on your base or try to. Um, and it's really easy to get people to not feel very happy. Uh, you have to keep an eye if they'll become unhappy if their environment sucks. And it's really easy to make their environment suck, especially in the beginning when you don't have a lot of resources to make um, high quality goods and wares um, or to even like put a floor on your base or something like that. Uh, so there's always, unlike where I think, you know, in Dwarf Fortress, things go wrong because you just forgot about one of the many, many economies you have to juggle. And then suddenly you have a ridiculous shortage in like whatever, you know, animal fat for candles or something. And then you get in this like a totally hilarious spiral. This uh, RimWorld, I think, just puts so much pressure on what, ha- what will happen if your one-year economies do break. You know, my first game of RimWorld... Um, ended with me not being prepared enough for a raid and then someone's wife dying and their dog dying and two other colonists dying and someone broke and we were all, all of the colonists were were injured and in bed, but he was just continually trying to stab everyone to death. And it was just sort of like, it felt like to me tonally, the game had been waiting for me to get to that moment where things got hilariously wrong instead of... (laughs) a sort of an oopsie moment where it happens, it happens in Dwarf Fortress most of the time. I just want to add that uh, unlike Dwarf Fortress, RimWorld seems like it's actually something that you can jump in and play in not too long. It's Some of the interface is a little complicated, but I think within an hour or two, you can generally get the gist of it, where Dwarf Fortress is, takes a little bit longer than that. It takes a, a lot longer than that. Yeah. yeah. Um, RimWorld is like giving me my Dwarf Fortress fix when I don't really feel like trying to remember all of the keyboard shortcuts for Dwarf Fortress, which I really appreciate. It's doing a lot of the same things in a much more limited way. Um, yeah. Which is not good or bad. It's just a smaller version of a thing that already exists. Yeah. In in many ways, it feels like uh, Dwarf Fortress by way of Gilligan's Island. Um, where it's like six or seven goofy characters get stuck together in a horrendous situation and you have to get them out of it. Um or just make them live there for an interminable number of seasons until you stop being entertained. Or they get eaten by bugs. Uh, as as happens sometimes. You've been playing this for quite a while, John, haven't you? Uh, yeah, I feel like uh, it's it's such an evolved game at this point. Sometimes talking about the older older versions is really funny now. Uh, well, but could, yeah, yeah. Could, could you give us some insight into um, how the game has developed and progressed uh, through that time? And to the product we have here with us now. So much of, I think, early, early RimWorld, um, the sort of state of emotional importances to your colonists early on um, was really limited. Uh, they reminded me much more of sort of dwarfs and dwarf fortresses, except they would have one or two quirks like, I must be naked all the time or I'm going to go bananas. Or um, if you don't get me uh, meat to eat, I'm going to lose it. Um and there was sort of a limited suite of technologies to fiddle with. Um, there was this really important cycle of, like, you must try and capture invaders to your colony so you can grow. Um, but over time, it's developed into this really bizarrely nuanced game where you're like, well, you know, we've chosen a uh, relatively cold area for our colony this time, so we're going to need, like, alpacas, I think, for wool so that we make sure we have enough clothing um, and so the economies have been layered on and a lot of nuance has been added, especially in the social systems, um, 
things like relationships between characters develop now uh, and rivalries um, and friendships and watching that stuff happen is so satisfying uh, to to especially once you get a, a colony slightly established, once you sort of have your like five to seven core colonists going, that's the sweet spot for the game, I think. Yeah, I have to add on, I not to be the person that's just continuously comparing this game to Dwarf Fortress, but I have to say the relationship stuff in RimWorld is like actually definitely superior to whatever is sort of going on in Dwarf Fortress, and I really, really, really love it. In that first game I played, um, a colonist showed up that had the uh, just like traits uh, beautiful and also greedy, so they were just a really needy character. And they immediately tried to and kept trying to and eventually did um, like hook up with this character who had a, a trait that meant he got zero bonuses from social interactions at all. And in fact, didn't really care about anyone around him. And it was like watching a CW drama. It was amazing. <laughs> so I, I just wanted to say quickly that this was this this is still in early access. So yeah. there, who knows what's going to change now? I mean, you could probably read developer blogs, but yeah, there's there's a lot that is still supposed to go on with this. I played it two years ago and then didn't really come back until the Steam release. So um, yeah. I, I think it's uh, drugs. I think that's what's next on the docket. A lot of drugs. Oh, boy. See, yeah. That's that's some science fiction stuff. This is yeah, the thing yeah, that's, yeah. like, kind of... It's a, just a kind of a grim, dark, and edgy game sometimes. Right. You know? Um, but the, the way that things happen, and I think the, like, the art style, it's like a cartoonish... Warhammer 40,000-ish uh, cyberpunk-esque future in some ways, um, which I really enjoy. Uh, like, I've, I've had some truly strange things. Um, randomizing your core colonists before you drop is an insane idea, but it's very, very funny um, because my most recent colony, for example, is uh, a married couple uh, and a an unemployed ex-game developer um, who made holographic I think like holographic pornography for a living and uh, they're Yorkie. Right. And so like this, these are the four creatures I have to begin this colony with. The game developer naturally refuses to do any hard work um, and is in fact utterly incapable of it. Um, and uh, I think it was Rowan pointed it out in his review. That's like a death sentence. A lot of the time, like that character is fucking useless to you because they refuse to like carry milk in from the, the cow pasture or what have you. Um, but uh, I had the most beautiful thing where one of my I was it was like my fifth or sixth extra colonist was this military commissar. Right. Who's incredibly good at a lot of things. And she eventually um, falls in love with and marries the the game, the lazy game developer. Right. And it's like that story. Like, you know what that comedy is. You know exactly what that <laughs> social show is. Uh, it was really quality experience to have that happen. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of like negative, sort of dystopian science fiction stuff that you can do in this game, but you don't necessarily have to. Like, you can uh, every time you get attacked by pirates, you can you know capture some of them, harvest their organs, and sell them to passing ships. Or you can just capture them and sell them as slaves to passing traders. Or you can not do any of that. You can try to build this nice utopian colony that never ever resorts to cannibalism. And uh, hopefully that works. 
so there, there's it's sort of it's got these options and some of the times it seems like okay the only reason you have this option is to just be kind of this ruthless horrible dictator person but uh you can try to play this as nicely as you can and um, do decently well with it that used to not be the case with it but uh it seems that some of the you only succeed through being awful stuff has been toned down a bit it really has over time. Um, there was a point where, like, the only way to economically succeed was to to sell people into slavery. But now there's significant negative penalties. Like, your colonists become genuinely unhappy if they've had to resort to slavery or organ trafficking to survive. As you do. Unless, of course, they have a, a sociopath trait, in which case, hey, why not? Maybe we should talk about sort of the... Uh core progression of the games so i think that's a yeah it's I mean, a pretty interesting little thing that yeah i mean this the game takes you through the go ahead ron i mean you're have you've you're, you're reviewed quite a few thoughts on this so um you you start with these three characters under the default thing there are a few other options i've been trying to do the one where you start as a lower tech but you have five people one a bit more and that's pretty interesting but the core game is three people a fourth joins very quickly and you will probably be able to recruit a fifth from the first pirate attack um so you get this group of people who you know you're sort of doing the basic stuff you need to survive cooking um building a house and so on but when you start trying to expand past that when you start trying to get an actual functioning economy with um building or sewing new clothes for people building blocks for walls that sort of thing um it sort of creates this natural economic complexity where it's better to have more specialized characters once you get above six or seven. So you have someone who's just there to cook. You have someone who's just there to uh, haul items and clean items. And um, the game kind of naturally does this thing where it says, here's how a society gets more complex without like abstracting much of it and i think that's one of the the things that makes rimworld so strong is that the things you're doing are literally the things you're doing you're building this wall in this place because you know that the tactical benefits of having that wall you're sewing these items not because you're going to get you know extra gold on the on a some menu somewhere but because you actually need them and you might be able to sell them later and um it's doing that while incorporating all the sort of higher level economic things which i think is really fascinating i think the character generator kind of hates me because almost all the time i i I have my starting three and there's one character who's good at everything and the other two are good at maybe two tasks at all. So I have one sort of who's a good miner, and he's also a good researcher, and he's the hunter. It's like, come on. Um, so there's a lot of... And because people do their tasks, and some people cannot do certain tasks, some people cannot hunt, um, they just don't have that skill. So you have to find what they're good at. Um, finding They made straight twos and threes uh, out of 20 across the board. And you've got to find a way to level them up, to make them do things, to give them tasks they might not be good at because you need a hunter now. You need someone to mine now. Um, so those early days when you're trying to get things up and stable and surviving, you know, that first 
those first few seasons, surviving those first few raids, there's quite a bit of satisfaction in getting up to that point, realizing, hey, now I can grow more than one crop. Now I can, uh, I've attracted enough people to have a functional e economy. I can trade for stuff. Um, I, so I don't have to be mining for steel. I like that you can mine for steel. Um, this is kind of weird. Yeah, um, that's kind of weird. As you pointed out, you can mine for compacted machinery, which helps you somehow. Yeah. Hey, look at these components stuck in the rock. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if, if you need... It's sort of this dystopian science fiction where things rise and fall constantly. Uh, and, you know, you may run into a thousand-year-old room that's filled with the enemies that will ruin your life in the present day. And um, I kind of... It, that sort of goes along with what John said, that it's kind of a goofy 40K world. Yeah, I, I never dig into walls anymore. I've learned that I've learned that mistake a couple of times. Well, you, you should get a warning when you have the really, really bad ones. Oh, yeah. But if a... you're playing on too high of a speed, then you might not actually be able to you must stop yeah. them, basically. Yeah, and, I'm, and, yeah. I, and I do play in the higher speeds because the default speed is so slow. I don't know why the default yeah. speed is so slow. It's ridiculous. I mean, it's good for the tactical combat sometimes, but that's about it. Yeah. Like, I think it's there to let you know like this is the speed you're going to be playing tactical combat at so know know what it looks like before you're in it um more than anything and i i found it useful as well to like uh test and this is because of the kind of paranoid uh dwarf fortress instincts i have about <laughs> building your defense system know how long it takes to get from the kitchen to the switch that activates the death trap uh that, that sort of thing is very important to me um uh, what what you're getting at with the sort of random generated characters, Troy, is also there's a few different ways to play this game. Mm -hmm. um, it has a an AI storyteller that's sort of like Left for Dead system where it sees what you're doing and like tosses appropriate challenges at you or not, depending. Yeah, that's theoretically what it does. Um, and the default one that's called Cassandra Classic, uh, it just sort of slowly escalates. Um, but then there's also one that's supposedly totally random, and uh, I played that when the I played that one when the um, Steam version wasn't getting like ninety percent of the events going. So I was like, "This is really boring. I don't know why I would play this one." But uh, now I would imagine that's more interesting. But you can basically play this game and just say, "I want to do all this random stuff and see how hilarious it is," or you could play it and say, like. I want to take the very best colonists that I can find, click random 20 times until I get someone who will actually clean things and, uh, <laughs> you know, try to go for building the perfect spaceship in the perfect, you know, mountain region. I am very pro, pro building into mountains. Do um, you want to explain your mountain building theory? So some of this may be because of that patch where... Uh, basically the only events that were firing were pirates and one of the pirates events is a siege where they show up with mortars on the other side of the map and start bombing you and they can't bomb you if you're under a mountain so i have taken to trying to build my core uh mostly the freezer which i believe is the center of your uh, community the the refrigerator in, is civilization in the in rim world yeah um so I have taken to building those things under mountains. However, now that uh, the other events are actually firing, particularly the bug infestations, which are sort of the anti-mountain uh, events, uh, 
I I no longer believe it's the way to play, but um, yeah, there there are sort of actions have consistent consequences. Mm-hmm. If you're if you have this huge open base, then that pirate siege will utterly wreck you. If you are building into the mountain, then those bug infestations will be just super annoying. Um, so there's there's a lot of stuff like that that's that makes it interesting. Um, the mountains also take longer to build. So I've had colonies where I'm trying to dig out perfect apartments for my characters. They get one of those pressure things that Gita was talking about, a pirate raid or whatever. Someone gets an infection um, or there's a heat wave. The heat waves makes them refuse to go outside and do any work. Oh, I hate the so, heat waves. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, now they're all trapped in this horrible room covered in vomit and blood and dirt <laughs> And they all hate it, and they all hate each other, and they don't actually have rooms of their own because I've been trying to build the perfect apartment in the mountain, which takes a lot longer than just throwing up some walls and a bed. So there's a whole bunch of little things like that that I think make for really neat strategic decisions. Uh, The biomes, since you're talking about mountains, I think is one of the coolest parts of the game. Um, Whereas I think in other colony games, it's not always clear to players what the true effect of like your starting location is it, it, there's a similar thing here in room world where you're like oh, i'll just start here on this map and it turns out you didn't really read the screen very well and it's the the winter low is going to be a negative 100 celsius or what have you <laughs> um but uh i really love in room world that i've played a couple different colonies now and you can play like a tropical colony where the growing season is going to be year round but your people are going to be getting malaria and the local wildlife is going to be incredibly prolific and aggressive um or you can play like what i've got now which is a tundra colony where the winter is incredibly dangerous the growing season is uh really short so you need to grow it a you need to stop doing everything else and grow a ton of food in a short time. And you need to make sure that your colonists have enough clothes to go outside uh, in the winter without dying of frostbite or what have you. Um, And the solution to heat waves for the record is play a tundra colony because no matter how cold it gets outside, your colonists will go outside. They'll just, they'll just die sooner or later, (laughs) but they'll still go out there and freeze to death for you. Yeah, I mean, this is sort of the the consequences built into the game inherently are if you want to play as someplace that has the growing season, then those heat waves can just come along and make your colonists refuse to actually grow things year round, which kind of defeats the purpose. So, um, I think there's it's still once a balance, like a a super duper cold tundra colony is going to be um, almost impossible, and likewise the super hot desert is. But you can do decently well in the boreal forest or the uh the sort of arid desert that actually has a bit of a winter i had one game with um probably the coldest that the desert has where the growing season was only half the year and i would get these snowstorms that would last the entire winter um and i would also not have the large regions of potential soil to grow things and that was a really interesting game i think that was one of the ones that ended up uh going to cannibalism which uh, is funny. It's its own reward, really. Yeah. Why do all these games have cannibalism? But surviving the winter on a map like that is it feels like a super impressive achievement. Uh, Banished kind of had that a lot, um, but De- Banished definitely did not have the range of uh, weather effects. Uh, but 
you get this idea that I have I done just barely enough. I got that sun lamp up just in time. Yeah, you I love those those moments and I think it's Rimworld scale where the the game is it's at its hardest when you've got you've got those first five or six colonists and you're really succeeding and then you start to push into the upper levels of the economy and you're like, okay, well, you know, we're pretty good on food and we're pretty good on, uh, you know, we have enough wood, we're staying alive, we're warm or we're cool enough. But uh, now we're we've worn through our initial clothes and we're starting to get really miserable because of that. We need to make new clothes. We need to grow cotton or trade for wool. Um and that means we're going to need someone to do tailoring full time. We're going to have to feed that person, but they're not going to have enough time to be working in the fields because they're going to be making clothing. And so you start to have to build those uh, layers of economic complexity so rapidly because of the things like I think one of the key, the key moments is deterioration of goods is so specific and rapid uh, as they're used. Also, the things like once you build the electric smelters and the uh, the things that let you um, sort of get rid of your trash um, apart from selling things, um, then you have characters who are basically like full-time hauling shitty clothes off to be burned or corpses off to be burned. Um, and that's like, that's not a super duper efficient use of time but that's a super it's an efficient use of space because you're going to need room in your warehouses to actually hold the things that you might want to sell or use and not the you know two percent cloth cap that's going to get you 10 cents on the market um so and then you add in like maybe you just had a pirate raid with where you managed to capture four people and you're trying to feed those people and recruit them but that's draining all of your food during the winter and you know it'll be a good idea eventually to have recruited them but it might if the random number generator doesn't like you um be a serious drain you know i had a serious issue at one point where we had a really early raid and someone got really hurt so we had to use our medicine and then we had a um two of the a married couple both got malaria so we had to use more medicine and then right as soon as they got well we got another raid so we had to use more medicine so before the winter even hit we were just out of medicine and we knew more raids were coming and we couldn't then um then the growing period was also over so we couldn't grow any herbal medicine and i was like well shit <laughs> what am i gonna do now <laughs> We get a raid. Someone's probably going to die from an infection. Yeah, that infection mechanic is—it's brutal genius. If you don't have medicine, those don't get cleaned, and you're just praying that when it hits to the extreme infection, that they'll survive it. Yeah, there's this maddeningly deep system of bizarre wounds, and it. This is, I think, like the grand uh, homage. I think, I guess, to Dwarf Fortress and all of this is Dwarf Fortress is notorious for the like. This dwarf is missing their left ear and right nostril, and most of their calf. Like those kinds of wounds show up in Rimworld as well, um, alongside the more kind of exotic diseases um, where colonists will be laid up in bed with malaria for months um, requiring consistent medical treatment. And without medicine, they really start to die and you can grow this herbal medicine, which is, it's okay. But uh, the more modern medicine, which you can never produce on your own uh, is 
the the products of modern society, let alone the I believe it's like the glitter world, glitter tech medicine, glitter world medicine um, from the super high end, ultra fancy, like nanite injection serum style stuff. Uh, you can get your hands on it, but you're like, I don't I don't know. We could we could buy another rifle or we could try to save Jimmy's life. Maybe we should just leave Jimmy to die, right? Like, get a liver while we can out of him. Yeah, or or even you know, uh, throw throw him in the extra freezer. You know, the one where we keep the bodies, just in case something goes really wrong. So, so do you guys spend much time with the enhancements? Do you mean the mods? Adding, yeah, I've added a few. Um... I definitely added the one that gives more hairstyles, but then I also added one that gives a whole lot more clothing styles, so they always have caps that cover the hair. But the the extra clothing styles are cool because it gets kind of visually monotonous for uh, your characters. They're all wearing these dorky little skull caps all the time, yeah, no, and no. now they have anime no, no, no. glasses. I meant the enhancements in the game, like giving people robotic arms or whatever. Oh, I mean, oh. sometimes if I can afford them... And you know, I have someone who's hobbling around on a peg leg, then so and then a ship shows up that has a bionic leg, then that's a great improvement. Um, but uh, this kind of goes along with what uh, John was saying: is that uh, you can kind of see the story of your colony on your char- character's bodies if you click on the health tab. Right. Um, so you start with these three characters who, you know, one of them might have a couple scars or something, but if you play decently long, you know, the, one of them ends up with these massive burn scars on, on both of her eyes from getting hit by a, a mechanoid grenade or inferno cannon or whatever, and it'll say that. You'll see that on her for the entire rest of the game. And, you know, she might lose two fingers and a toe, or she might have a bionic leg suddenly, and... uh well, not suddenly, you have to choose to do that, but suddenly need the bionic leg, and, like, your your characters are, like, still there, and they're still functioning, but you can see the colony just kind of draining them, and the, the sort of difficulty of surviving on this world where, you know, if you've only lost two fingers, then you're probably doing pretty well. <laughs> so, uh, actually, Troy, it's funny you say that, because my most recent colony is, uh, a total experiment in how long can I keep a certain set of people alive despite gruesome injuries. Um, so I have at this point, my, one of my first colonists who has, um, one eye replaced with a bionic eye, an arm replaced with a bionic arm. Both hands were lost to a bear attack. They were bitten off by a bear. Um, by a bear. Oh, and they've both been now replaced by power claws for tearing people apart. Um, and now literally like I have a little death trap that I use where like I send a bunch of dogs out into a field of turrets to attack raiders, um, which is hysterical. And I've taken to adding that character to that uh, in his now acquired power armor. Right. Because like this is the story of this guy. He's gone from being who was at one point. Uh, he was just like a bodyguard on some shitty factory world and now he is a lunatic berserker on a rim world colony and i feel like at this point like i'm we're leaving this guy behind when we go we've made him into an absolute monster no one wants him with us on the ship right (laughs) i mean yeah that's the sort of stories that this generates i had i had my cook lose a hand in 
an enemy attack, so I added one of the scyther blades, which are the mechanoid units oh, no. that have arms for hands. So uh, I think she still had one perfectly functional hand, so she was still able to cook. So I'm imagine her just chopping vegetables with that uh, <laughs> with that scyther <laughs> blade that also chops the heads off whatever attacks. Um, my last game, I was playing with the uh, zombie mod, and the zombie zombieism takes a long time to develop so i had two characters with bites and one of them was just bitten on their toe so i amputated the toe and that's fine but the other one was bitten on the leg so i had to amputate the leg and then this was also my doctor so she couldn't actually add the new peg leg and uh so my characters are just trying to apply peg legs to this person over and over and it's just not working (laughs) And eventually she got it. I think I had to reload after everyone died once, including her from this. Oh, but, no. um, yeah, it's that was a that was an interesting lesson in uh how the health system works. Yeah. Uh and actually, you know, it, what what you've just said really reminds me, we haven't talked that much about the separate skills. We've talked about how some people refuse to do certain tasks, but there is a a skill system in place here where characters as they do things get better at them. Um, has anyone had really fascinating experiences with that? No, I think that's actually one of the least developed parts of the game, and it frustrates me that that is so much of the rest of the game is pretty like plug and play, like Lego instructions. You know, if you want something to happen, you need to do X. Whereas leveling people up in their skills, I feel like either takes way too long, or I wish it would let me know when someone went from being garbage at something to being kind of okay at it, but. Yeah, a a little pop-up ding that you get for a lot of the other stuff for that would be really nice. Yeah. 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 I also find certain things about it uh, just sort of, I think you're right, underdeveloped. That's the appropriate word. It could use a little more attention. Um, One of the weirdest things about it, I think, is that they have sort of titles. I, I love that they have passions, right? So certain characters are really good at certain things or not they're not necessarily worse but they have no interest in it so you can have character that's like exceptionally interested in construction and so they learn twice as fast in it um and that can lead to some really good stories so like one of my favorite characters i ever had was uh jup assassin and that was how they came to me their name was jup assassin and i was like all right jup she's an assassin what can she do literally she refuses to do anything but melee combat ranged combat and art <laughs> i love her yeah and her skill in she has decent you know she's decently interested she's okay at melee and ranged combat um but she has a triple flame so the highest possible level of interest in art and so she's useless to the colony she can barely contribute at all but you know what we made her like a little hut away from everyone else and we filled it with stone blocks and she made statues like she had this terrible life where she was like a an escaped slave and then a political assassin and now she makes art. I, and like it's so that's weird beautiful. how right? I ended up in your video game. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> I had I had a similar character uh who was a ninja um whose name was Tomboy and <laughs> she uh she was just there to fight and hunt. I don't remember. She had one other thing. I don't remember if it was like art or crafting or one of those things that maybe she could do occasionally. Um, but I had another character who's like dog died. So she had a mental break where she went and just got drunk. So she's sitting in the you know common room of my 
uh, of my base, just chugging beer after beer. And she goes up and uh, finds the ninja named Tomboy. And Tomboy, who is, you know, horribly bored because there's literally nothing for her to do, uh, insults her. So the drunk person attacks and Tomboy just like snaps her neck immediately. I don't know. It's like one hit and she's dead. And I'm like, "Um, what do I even do here? Like, do do I kick this person out of my colony? Do I... I don't know. Do I like have her kamikaze into the next enemy attack? Like this is it is not good if she just breaks the neck of anyone who's drunk and rude. <laughs> yeah, it looks like not a great party guest, right? Someone who just breaks people's yeah. necks. Lord. <laughs> so yeah, that, this this has a very good story generation, and if uh, yeah, if that is what you are looking for in a game, and it was very much what I was looking for this month. I think I've like played mm-hmm. nothing but this for three weeks. Uh, yeah, and that was my experience when I discovered it uh, a couple years ago, actually. I, I just played the shit out of it um, for a few months, and I've revisited it every few months, but uh, I dropped it, I'd say, maybe this time last year. Um, and then when they made the move to Steam, I was like, oh, wow, I, I loved RimWorld. I, I should see how far the game has come. Um, and... I was just blown away, I think, by the level of detail and the the amount of new events and things like that that have been added. Um, Now, I want to mention, I guess it's not a pet peeve. I think it's one of my other primary criticisms of the game, though, um, which is that the AI directors, the sort of um, storytellers, uh, I'm not entirely convinced they're truly that different from each other. Have you all had different experiences? <laughs> do, 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 do you want to explain what that is for our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, there are difficulty settings. There's, you know, easy, normal, hard, uh, brutal or something like that. Um, and then there's these three AI storytellers. We talked a little bit about them earlier, but they are basically there to inject appropriate or not events into your game. So there's one of them, uh, which I think is Cassandra or Cassie Classic. Um, and she is... The one who adds to your game a sort of slow, gentle uh, at first and then exponentially more difficult curve, right? Um, She's the Dwarf Fortress-esque difficulty generator um, that sort of gives you that that story. Uh, So whenever the AI feels the need to add some chaos, so say someone is out hunting and someone else is walking nearby... um, and nothing interesting has happened for a while. We might just have a hunting accident and have one of the colonists shoot another one. Um, which, uh, for the record, um, never go hunting with a minigun. Each of those bullets has a <laughs> moment to trigger the AI director's uh, anger. Just going to put that out there. Fun, oh. fun fact. Um, and uh, so, all right, so that original one is sort of a, a slow, gentle curve. And it tries not to throw too many uh, insane curveballs at you. Uh, then there is also, um, I think something, I don't remember her first name, but it's, it's a chillax. They all have these sort of character to them. Um, and the chillax one is a lot of distance between disasters. Um, but when those disasters come, they will hit you hard if you're at a high difficulty. So maybe there's not going to be that many raids, but when the raids come, they're going to be 15 pirates strong and they're going to bring big guns with them. Um, but I think uh, that one has less of the random social disasters, like um, 
a horde of ravenous beasts just wandering through or uh, an angry random critter on the map going after one of your colonists. Um, and then there is the utterly random one where it's just like anytime the game thinks there needs to be an event, it will just pick one off the giant list of events and that can be anything. Um, and that's the one that tends to disastrously end any given colony at any given moment. Uh, I think the most. Yeah. Now that you think of it, I've been playing mostly on Phoebe Chillax because I know what I wanted out of this game. I wanted to explore the relationship stuff and do like a minimum amount of shooting if, if possible. Um, and I'm finding that you said that you think that it doesn't really give you like other random events like eclipses or, um, solar flares or heat waves and stuff. And I'm getting an absolute fuck ton of all of those events all the time. And then really? very okay. infrequently I'm getting raids. So there'll be a raid once per, you know, spring, summer, fall, winter, basically. And Are then you in getting between, any of the, um, pardon? Are you getting any of the really crazy weather events? Um, I got the one where it was a pollution from a nearby factory would slowly poison everyone if they went outside, which was actually, that was one of my favorite ones. That is one of my favorite. That's the crazy-ass cabin fever one where people will be stuck inside for like 30 days. Yeah, I would have to send people out in shifts to maybe turn over the crops, but then they would have to stay inside for like a week or so just to make <laughs> sure everything didn't die and we didn't lose our entirety of our harvest, essentially. But, um, I actually just build roofs over the stuff I need and let them go nuts. <laughs> <laughs> I think I had one person collapse once from that, but it hasn't. Maybe it's just that I do the like mountain colonies and stuff that they're probably inside most of the time anyway. So yeah, yeah, that one almost brutally killed me because it uh, killed all the game animals on the map, and I was mostly relying on like elk to survive. Um, right. Yeah, it I, does kill all the animals on the map. And that was the winter we ate, Shorty. Oh, no. <laughs> One thing I really love, just want to say, um, when you do have someone who's actually making art, they will make art that commemorates events like that. And it's fantastic. I had someone, the, the greedy character who was very spiteful, the beautiful one, um, she would keep making statues commemorating when people vomited. <laughs> <laughs> How did you put me in your game? <laughs> God. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, there's some there's some weird procedurally generated art stuff that can be hilarious, uh, or some just some of the random procedural generation. Anyway, I had I like to build like little sarcophagus rooms for my colonists once I'm on my on my feet, um, and. Uh, like one of the times I was doing a mountain that I dug in and found like a secret valley. And so this was sort of behind the bulk of my base. So I put the coffins there and I saw one woman who like wandered out at dawn to watch the sunrise. And she was watching from on top of her own coffin. Oh my God. It was pretty amazing. It's amazing. Put Troy in your game. <laughs> Aren't we all just reaching for the sweet release of death, though? Isn't that just all of us? <laughs> Some of us are just more honest day. about it, I think. <laughs> I go back to work tomorrow, so yeah, every day. I did, I did want to talk about the combat a little bit, because given that it is this kind of simple, goofy little put-your-characters-here-and-have-them-shoot things, there's a lot of actual functional tactics to it that I'm 
continually continually pretty impressed by like uh when you fight against the mechanoid centipedes and if you click on them their little info button it says hit and run tactics might work well against these guys so uh you take someone with a couple survival or take a couple people with survival rifles and sniper rifles and have them just kind of shoot it in shifts moving back all the time like this is actually a functional tactical uh thing you can do in the game that works pretty well and like when you're fighting against um if one of the local tribes attacks you they usually come with huge amounts of numbers so you want to have like just the indiscriminate grenade sorts of things where the pirates you want to have like really precise stuff because they tend to have better technology and like all these little things actually become relevant considerations in a game that you wouldn't necessarily think oh this is going to be a decent tactical game yeah absolutely um and you can do pretty complicated stuff too. Like my favorite tactic, like if you get a mechanoid attack early on in the game, or you want to crack open one of those secret rooms that you definitely shouldn't crack open, open, but you kind of want to do it anyways. Um, you can do stuff like lay down an IED trap and lure a mechanoid onto it, or uh, spread out in a, a sort of half circle around the map and trick the tribespeople into charging into your trap. Um, it's it's quite impressive. There's a cover system in place too, which is very satisfying for me um, as someone who's kind of like, why do my dwarves in dwarf fortress fight like idiots? Um, that that was it's great to see. Like the the enemy will take cover behind stuff and hide from you while you're shooting at them, and your colonists also get similar benefits. Yeah, I like to do a thing where like, if I have a reasonably decent choke point, I just build like smooth walls going up so far that the enemies can't hide behind them and then just pour concrete into that area so that they have like if they want to attack me they have to just literally walk across like scorching hot concrete with nothing to hide behind oh god um uh, or but sometimes you get like the pirate sieges that attack from afar or sappers who will mine into your base or stuff like that that you know the game is the game recognizes that you're going to try to do that and uh it will uh try to mess with you yeah i very much enjoy the attacks by like the groups that include a lot of grenadiers because they'll instead of walking towards your death trap they'll find the side of it or the side of a wall of your base and they'll just throw grenades at it until it comes down and they'll come pouring in um there's even better if you have some of the the pirate factions um on your world that have uh more advanced technology they'll attack you in drop uh pods out of out of orbit so they'll just like smash down into the middle of your enclosed farm complex and start slaughtering uh your pacifist characters or what have you uh which is really great to watch happen but not in a positive way where you're happy that it happened. <laughs> you know, this is one of those losing is fun games. Yes, so, absolutely. Like, holy crap, they have just, you know, poured into, like, the center of my crops, and they caused, like, I managed to beat them, but they broke the roof, and now it's raining, and it caused, like, all of my stuff to fizzle out and cause it to start fires, and, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, wood buildings, never build them. Just, just, just say no. So I guess we. I think we. I haven't gotten that far in many games. Not that I'm bad at RimWorld. This is a keep. I play for a while. That's oh, now I know what I'm supposed to do, and I start over again. Uh, it's a bad pattern I have with these types of games. I'm see them through to the end. I learn something new. I say now with this new information, I'll start over. Uh, so it's good to know I have all these 
fun tactical things to look forward to. Uh, since you all have a lot more time in the game, because at this point, RimWorld's not quite getting me. It's, I'm not quite sold yet. I'm not sure why that is, why I'm not... Maybe it is because I'm stopping and starting too much, uh, but then, you know, it's encouraging me to do that. It's the game's fault. Um, <laughs> so maybe I'm going to keep at it. I have another game going right now. I'll be playing through it tonight, and maybe I can have some better or more complete thoughts on it later, um, and I'll post them on the forum. Uh, but for each of you, I guess the question since is, I guess what is the big lesson here in RimWorld? What is the, where should the game go from here and what does it do right? That you know, similar types of games should do. I think uh, Rowan's point about the scale is certainly the most important one. You know, if you're going to have, if you're going to be telling personal stories and make those a center part of the game, you can't have 500 characters uh, running around. Um I wonder with the upper cap on that, probably no more than 25, I think, for it to be even feasible. So the scale is certainly one thing to pay attention to. Um, I'm, I'm, I really don't like the art, but, you know, it's the blobby characters don't do anything for me. Uh, but beyond that, uh, anything you guys would like to change with the game that you think is are a good signal going forward? I, I think... It just needs to refine and like recenter on what its its core focus is going to be because it keeps adding new elements and a lot of those elements are good, but the fear, my big fear, is that with each new update it'll become be closer and closer to being as inscrutable as Dwarf Fortress is, and I really like just having a version of Dwarf Fortress that's a lot easier to get into and start up. Um, so I just think keeping it simple is really. From this update onward, they have to just think about not, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, essentially. Uh, I think that uh, it can feel pretty repetitive at the start, um, especially if you're like trying to pick certain zones. Like if I'm always picking the mountains, then it that makes it a lot worse. Or if I'm always picking the temperate forests, then that makes it seem a little too samey at times. And uh, I think maybe some more smaller scale early game events that might uh cause a little more variety in the beginning of the game would be helpful but the the big thing that i think it needs is um refinement of the research slash progression system research in rimworld is basically done by someone goes and stands at a table all day and then maybe now you can carve stone into stone blocks that can build walls and uh it's not particularly satisfying and it's really hard to tell when it's super important and when it's not. Um, usually research in strategy games kind of is the mark of your progress and it both is and isn't in RimWorld in a way that can be very confusing. And I think that that's, that's probably the biggest thing the game needs to like turn into an all around from beginning to end uh, strategic experience but if you're not even getting there yet Troy then uh, uh, that that doesn't help you that much but you should research stone blocks as quickly as you can oh I'm, I'm, I've gotten through the early research phases uh, up to Devil Strand which then I learned I had no one qualified to plant yeah and hopefully you're in a That's warm enough a environment for it to grow as I discovered when I went somewhere cold yeah, yeah. I understand that is not a very easy plant to develop uh, it's not uh, but it's a hella fun thing to grow if you get good at it. Um, you can make some pretty awesome, like, bulletproof trench coats if you need, want that really, really nice uh, 1995 feel. 
Yeah, bright red, too. Yeah, yeah. In case you've ever wanted your uh, entire colony to look like uh, Vampire the Masquerade LARPers, it's right there for you. <laughs> Which is what you want out of everything, I, right? You should. If you do not, there is something fundamentally wrong with you. And and you, John, anything you would want to see going forward? Um, I I actually think that, you know, I was going to say, like, yeah, I, I want uh, I want, like, maybe better research or I want the game to... I a little bit want the game to refocus back in on its core concept, which was that it is Dwarf Fortress with an end goal, which is to escape. And right now, sometimes it feels like, why would I escape? I'm having so much fun. Um, and it's limited scope. It's the idea that it wasn't necessarily built to go on forever was tr- was interesting about RimWorld. But I think Gita's comment may have changed my mind. I, I think that was really uh, insightful, like... The game needs to make sure that it's not spiraling in complexity, in truth. Um, And if it starts to, it might become too hard to play. Like you can like when I when I was playing originally a few years ago, you didn't research stone cutting. You just built stone walls out of mined stone. You could just build a table and cut stone into blocks because these people are from highly advanced societies and can figure it out. they know what a stone block is, or they know what Devil Strand is. So if there's seeds around for them to plant it, they could just plant it. They didn't. You didn't have to research it at that time. Um, so, and I understand the need to make there there be a curve, right? But um, I think they need to sort of refine that curve and make sure they're introducing elements as they're needed for you to learn to play the game. And they want that that curve needs to more perfectly match the curve of uh, good complexity. If that makes sense. So at first, it, it you actually really need to be able to build stone buildings or what have you. It, that would help the game a lot. Um, so those sort of small adjustments to help the thing get to that place where learning it is as easy as playing it once you know how to learn it. Does that make sense? Well, it's it's stuff like, especially when you get into the end game, what you should be doing is researching like how to build complex weapons and armor. And if you're not doing that, you're going to have problems. But you only know that after playing a colony for 10 hours and discovering that, you know, you're being sliced up because you don't have power armor by the insect attack or the uh, pirate attack or whatever. And... uh it's hard to tell exactly like how much research you should be doing exactly and when when you know i don't i don't know exactly how you would have this sort of constant pressure saying okay you need your spaceship in five years or else or else what because the or else is inherent the or else is the pirates are going to get tougher and tougher and tougher um but it's like it, it always seems like it's focused a little bit too much on exactly what do I need right now as opposed to what is my long-term goal. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you definitely want to be focused on the right now, but the long-term goal is um, it's something that this game does have, but it doesn't necessarily like deal with well. Yeah, I think that's another good point is that I've been playing not even really thinking about the ultimate long-term goal of building the ship and escaping the planet. I've been just trying to build something that exists, you know? And there's it can feel a little bit directionless if you aren't really focusing on that ultimate long-term goal. Yeah. And I think that's important for a certain section of players who want 
an end goal, which is one of the things that makes RimWorld strong is that it has a wider appeal than Dwarf Fortress, which is a sort of sandbox yourself, right? And be like, I want to try and build a biggest golden statue I can. Go. I think it's also that that it, it is in the game in the pressure that you face, but you don't necessarily know that. Um, so, like, I had this game that was going really, really great, and it, that was partially because I decided to start safe scumming. Um, instead of just, like, you know, this random mechanoid managed to take out two of my people with a single grenade, I, I, I'll reload on that. Um but yeah, so I'm getting, I'm going along on this, and my people are surviving, and my base seems to be doing okay. But every single new event is causing more and more problems because I'm not actually progressing enough to get like power armor. And you really only find that once you've invested so much time in it, and it, it sort of needs something. It needs to tell you that, or give you a little gentle shove more if it's going to go in that direction. Well, great, and. Any any final words? Um, you should set your character uh, work orders to manual and make sure that someone's always doing cleaning. Yeah, don't live in a dirty house. It's a terrible way to live. Someone will break and start stabbing everyone to death, essentially, <laughs> if you live in a dirty house for too long. <laughs> That's what I learned playing RimWorld. <laughs> Yeah, it's a message for me right now. I've got a lot of cleaning to do before my family visits uh, next week. Uh, so thank you all for listening. Um, a reminder that if you listen to the podcast regularly, you can support us over on Patreon, patreon.com slash 3MA. Uh, we have a couple of goals that we're probably never going to reach, but that's okay. Every little dollar counts. Uh, it helps uh, support Michael Hermes who is our great sound editor, and he will be as, he will be assembling the show into something with fewer sirens or car horn or motorcycles <laughs> or whatever <laughs> is going on inside oh, going on in Chicago. Uh, on behalf of my panelists, Rowan, Gita, and uh, John, that's right, John, uh, thank you all for listening, and we hope you have a good evening. Goodbye. <laughs>